welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today my guest is Rebecca Sive. She's the author of Vote Her In, a book about why Americans should elect a woman president in 2020, and that they can not only take part in achieving that success, but they can also benefit from it. I'm going to tell you something. This is a great book, and I mean it. It's so fun to read because Re- uh, Rebecca has this way of informing you while entertaining you, but also like getting you motivated and, and making you like when you when I was reading the book, I'd be like, yeah, oh my God, right, yes. So I highly recommend this book. It's on Amazon, Vote Her In. I'm going to include the link to her book on Amazon um, in the description on Patreon. She's also got another book. Um, Her first book was Every Day is Election Day, A Woman's Guide to Winning Any Office. That's really good, too. That's also going to be on the um, Amazon, on her Amazon page. So definitely check it out. Uh, Real quick, I told you last week that we were going to have three shows this week, but we're not. So the woman who was supposed to be here doesn't feel well. So it's actually working out better because she'll, she'll be coming back at a later date. And I would prefer not to have three shows in a row, which was not her fault. That was mine, but it was just, you know, I had that whole plumbing issue last week. So everything's good. The plumbing's good. And on Wednesday, Steph and I are going to do the last show of the year. That's going to be fun. And I can't wait to talk to her. And, um, you know, (laughs) I'm going to need that break. We're not going to come back until January 8th. And so that's going to be a little bit of a break for me. I'm going to need it because, oh my God, this next year is going to be incredibly stressful for all of us. And we all need to have a nice holiday if we can, take some time, be with your family, celebrate, enjoy whatever it is you do, whether you celebrate the holidays or not, just have a good time with some friends or anything. And then um, put on your your warrior gloves because we're, we're going to be in the fight for our lives. We really are. Um, Start Me Up is, lis- is a listener supported show. And as I say, every show, I don't have corporate funding. And I also, I'm, I don't use advertisers, not, not at this point. I don't want to. Eventually I will, but right now I don't. So that means the show survives on your support. Consider becoming a patron for any dollar amount, $1, $2. If you do it for $1 or $2, it's like you're taking me to the movies or you're getting me some lattes for the work that I do. I would appreciate it. I do always appreciate all of my followers and patrons. Thank you so much. Um, there's also the option to do $5 a month, which gets you into End Another Thing, which is a segment after the free show. We do that at least two times a month. Um, take a listen to some of the shows that I've already done on the front of patreon.com slash start me up. You can see a bunch of the interviews. If you like it, please become a patron. And then also don't forget to subscribe to iTunes because we are on iTunes and Stitcher and every, every place that you can find a podcast. That's where we are. <laughs> and uh, also, I always ask. If you would give a great review on iTunes, I need it. I could use it. Become a subscriber. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with the pitch. Uh, That's going to be it. So now we're just going to talk to Rebecca Sive. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, hi. Happy to be here. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, we're doing this interview on the day that there was uh, an article that came out by Axios with Obama. And his quote is, I'm absolutely confident that for two years, even if every nation on earth was run by women, you would see a significant improvement across yeah. the board on just about everything. So it's kind of like perfect that we had to postpone this interview from last Wednesday. So great day. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. I saw it and I was like, you know, by myself at my computer at the crack of dawn and was jumping up and down in my chair. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, Maybe now that President Obama said it, everybody will really listen. Yeah, let's let's hope. We'll see what happens. Um, before we get into you talking about your book, which is fantastic, and I, you know, at oh, the intro you. I said that, um, and I'm just going to reiterate that here. It's such a fun book. It's like one of those books that you read that you're you're always like everything that you say, every point that you make, you're like, wow, it's it's something new. It's something maybe you already knew it, but it reinforces it, or it gives it just like gives you inspiration and motivation. So. Oh, good. Before we get into you talking about your book, why don't you tell us about yourself and your background? Oh, um, sure. Well, uh, I grew up in New York, but have spent my adult life and my political career and 
women's issues organizing career here in Chicago. Um, I grew up in a political family, and my parents were stalwart Democrats, and, you know, so really came up with this commitment that we share and your listeners share to social justice and equality. So after coming here, I immediately became active in the women's movement and have done a number of things, started a women's center, served in public office for many years, taught women in politics at University of Chicago, uh, and have now, in the last few years, written these two books, one, uh, Every Day is Election Day, how you can, you know, move into a campaign and an elected mm-hmm. career if you want one, and then vote her in about how we can come together and elect a woman president. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my idea has always just been to find a way to uh, be an advocate, be a voice, you know, push the envelope, so to speak, on making change for women. Wow. So, I mean, I guess that is your motivation for writing that book, is, is so, so that more women will enter into politics. Um, is, am I right on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, it, I mean, I think for many of us, when Hillary made it, you know, into the primary in 2008, and here we had a woman and an African-American, I mean, I think I wasn't the only one who sat there and thought, well, the world has changed, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I go back far enough to advancing Barbara Mikulski on her first you know, campaign to run for Congress when the very idea of a woman in Congress, much less of a woman president, was fairly novel. So I think, you know, with that realization for each of us, you know, kind of comes the opportunity to think about, well, what can I do, right? Mm -hmm. We've worked hard to get this far. Let's figure out what the next steps are. And certainly after 2012, I guess, no, 16, rather, with the election of Donald Trump, you know, I was aghast, just as millions were, and thought, well, you know, we really have to figure this out. We actually elected a woman president, right? She got more votes than he did. And so the question is how to make it real and how to get there. So Mm -hmm. I just decided that what I could do was write this book and continue along with others in all the organizing and political work that, that we need to do. Well, I actually just recommended it to a woman who's running for office, not for president, obviously, but mm-hmm. she's running for office in Texas. I, I recommended your first book because um, she's new to this and she's she's going up against, uh, is it John Cornyn? Is that his name? I can't remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, she's had no experience. And I, I said, you know, maybe you should check out this book. Um Probably Mm because she's asked me for some help. And I'm like, well, I've never run a campaign, so I don't know that I'm the best person to help you. Sure. But here's this great book. Um, Let me ask you this. This particular election, we've seen a lot of people, a lot of Democrats running. And obviously, a lot of Democrats are upset at, at Trump being president. But we've also seen a record number of women. So... Right. Why, why does it matter that multiple women decided to run for the president of the United States this time? Oh, jeepers. You know, that is such a good question. Because it's not, you know, it's not a unique opportunity, number one. And there isn't just only one person, one woman in the world who could do it. There's probably thousands, mm-hmm. right? They haven't had the opportunity to be engaged in politics and run for office and all of that. Uh, so it's just, in the first place, terribly important to see that this is something real and a possibility and mm-hmm. for women of different kinds, right? Yeah. So, you know, the notion that Kamala Harris is in the race, a black woman, uh, Amy Klobuchar, a woman from modest circumstances, as mm-hmm. well as Elizabeth Warren, you know, I think that the the first thing is, yes, Various kinds of women can do this, and I'm like one of them, odds are. I can do this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to demonstrate, I think, that um, women officials and women candidates, just like male officials, aren't uniform in their perspective. Yeah. They have uh, important differences on policy and approach to governing, and we as voters should have the benefit of seeing what that is, hearing what that is, you know, making a decision. So, you know, it's not just there's one way to do this, right, if you're a woman. Um, And I think the third thing is that um, it makes the race more valuable, right? Because we expect to see multiple men, right? Yes. I mean, so it has equal value, more value, if there are multiple men, multiple women, all having to stand up on that debate stage or, you know, in some Iowa 
you know, cornfield and make their case. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's definitely, as you said, people can look at that and say, I can do that. And I'm really glad because, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old. I'm a Gen Xer. And, and despite mm-hmm. the fact that I grew up with the, you know, watching the second wave of feminists, my mother was one of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, literally going to work and, and doing, you know, she was a single mother. So she took care of everything. Um, of and that course. was my experience that I got to see women in leadership positions, whether it was my mother at home, my, <clears throat> excuse me, my mother at work or, you know, watching, um, Geraldine Ferrero, um, you know, on any number of women in the eighties that were coming up, even though that was kind of like a conservative era, it didn't feel conservative. But, but my point is, is that despite the fact that I've seen, um, women in leadership positions, what I never saw as a young person, as a woman running for president, and it was something that, you know, was just taken for granted that it was always going to be men. And so, not that it, not that I thought that it would always be men, but it was just something like you just accepted it. So I really do. I mean, I'm really glad that women are not only get you know running, they're winning. And the the race for POTUS is going to be the most difficult one because right. we've got all of these patriarchal um, uh, misogynists out there that you know really are pushing what whether it comes from casual misogyny casual patriarchy where it's just questioning whether she's electable or likable or any of that mm-hmm. um down straight down to no women should never run because they're too emotional or whatever bullshit they say um it's it's so important to see and and as a woman who grew up not seeing women win for president it it feels really good you know, I feel it's frustrating, but it feels good too. Well, and I was going to say that the you know, on your point that having multiple women run sort of gives the lie to some of these ideas about women's electability mm-hmm. or the importance of likability versus actually knowing your stuff or being able to raise the money that's required, which these women have proven they're able to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it also, I think, related to that, kind of helps demonstrate to the voter and to people who care about having good elected officials and appointed officials, it shows that different types of personalities, Mm -hmm. right, Yeah, Uh, can be equally strong in a position of leadership. And I think uh, for women in particular, this is so important because there are different styles, but they can be, and they have proven to be sort of equally effective. So I think that, you know, we're in this, you know, history-making time, but also this unique time to learn from how these women present themselves, Mm -hmm. learn from how they respond to, as you put it, misogyny or other Mm -hmm. or unequal treatment. And, um, you know, just sort of show to girls and women who who are now thinking about running for office that I don't have to be one kind of person. I don't have to come from one kind of place. I don't have to have gone to Washington. I can do this in my local community and then I can keep moving just as these women have. Right. In fact, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my, one of my co-hosts, Stephanie Walton, is running for city council in Oakland. So um, that's a perfect example. You can always start in the lower, the, you know, start off in a um, smaller role and move your way mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you, what is the significance of the fact that of the four leading Democratic women primary candidates, two have dropped out? What is that significance? Well, I guess in the first place, uh, interesting question, it would demonstrate what one of my mentors, uh, Harold Washington, who was the first African-American mayor of Chicago, said, uh, that is, quote, politics ain't beanbag, you know, hmm. that that regardless of whether you've uh, been schooled in politics, been elected, run campaigns, you know, it's it's a tough profession. Yeah. And so it's also unrelated. And, you know, the fact that it's tough is unrelated to um, being a man or a woman. You know, you have to get more votes than the other person, male or female, right? Mm. So I think in the first place it just sort of demonstrates, well, yes, it's really hard to do, which is no reason not to do it, but right. it is a reason to yeah. focus. I think in the second place... Uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Kamala Harris's campaign mm-hmm. and whether it was sufficiently well organized. The other thing that struck me about that discussion was about her messaging and her policy positions. That 
they were not as clear, for instance, and I'm not speaking to the merits of any candidacy here, they weren't as clear, say, as Warren's or Klobuchar's, by way of example. So that that sort of muddied the waters for her in terms mm. of voters saying, yes, this is the person I want. Mm-hmm. And I think to some degree that's true. She did sort of switch her positions around. In the case of Gillibrand, I think it's something else. She certainly faced a lot of heat for um, her uh, criticism of uh, Bill Clinton in the, in the Me Too context, um, I don't know how much of a factor that was. I know that she, like Harris, you know, had a tough time raising money. Mm -hmm. And I guess in neither case were they able to figure out, you know, how to make a go of it with more modest sums. Maybe there was no way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while I think it's important to, uh, you know, to note a fact, for instance, that two of these women are out, two of them are in, Mm -hmm. you know, two leading candidates. And I think that it goes back to what we were discussing before. We want to have multiple uh, opportunities to examine women for office, and here we have that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, as the field goes forward, it's going to narrow further. Um, I would say at the same time, however, that, and you know this and your your listeners know this, that it's incumbent upon us, women who are feminists and want to see a woman president, that if we see, for instance, sexism in the media or uh, you know, discriminatory takes on what candidates are doing that we call that out. Yes, absolutely. There, you know, there's just no doubt that both Harris and Gillibrand were subject to that. Yeah, also, so, so are Warren and Klobuchar. But I, I'd like to also know, what, what would you say the lessons are from the Warren and Klobuchar campaigns? Well, first of all, it's... Uh, uh, Grit, you know. I think that that sounds so simple-minded, but you know, I was—I don't know Warren personally. I do know Klobuchar personally, and mm-hmm. I know uh, how much grit she's got, mm-hmm. and and Warren has it too. I bet you Gillibrand and Harris do too. Mm-hmm. But in the first place, it—it's that grit combined with discipline, right? Yeah. You know, they know what they need to do, and they execute every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know. The first lesson you can't, and I talk a lot about this in every day is election day. You know, you're not going to win because you're a woman and therefore somebody special, or there mm-hmm. haven't been a lot of women. You're going to win because people perceive you as the best, mm-hmm. right? And the only way you can achieve that is just being constantly out there with your message, you know, with your platform in every little place, you know. And I mean, I could recount stories from campaigns I've been involved in where you know the candidates sort of thought. Well, I'm on a mission from God, so if I go decide to get my nails done, you know, instead of knock on doors, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, right? Yeah. So, you know, in the first place, I think we can take that away. And in the second place, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, uh, another lesson here is that women who lead and want to lead more and who are in any event doing a good job in their current positions, right, may differ on their approaches to policy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as men do. And there's nothing the matter with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's wonderful, you know, actually. We can look at it. We can evaluate it. We can say yeah. to them if we stand in line or go to a fundraiser or something, well, gee whiz, Amy, have you thought about this? Or gee whiz, Elizabeth, have you thought about that? And, you know, we just haven't had that chance before. It's a unique circumstance in American history. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to your to the uh, multiple women running is that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like you were saying, there is this opportunity to see a variety of women with a variety of ideas and executions. And um, again, I think it just benefits everybody. The more diverse crowd that we have, and unfortunately now the crowd is down to only white candidates that are viable. Um, Well, you you, you think that or you think? Well, going on polling. I mean, you know, right now Mm -hmm. we've got, I think the top four are all white mm-hmm. people. And I right. think it really is going to come down to um, Biden and Warren. And and mainly I say that because Buttigieg, even though he's been doing pretty well in the primaries, he's got a real problem with uh, black voters. He just doesn't have them. And, right. you know, Bernie, I'm not sure about Bernie. I don't know. Uh, he's always kind of like 
sometimes he's number two, sometimes he's number three, sometimes he's number four, whatever poll you're looking mm-hmm. at. Um, I can't imagine he's going to win the primary, but you know, anything is possible at this point. But right now it is, it's down to those four people. And um, as much as I, you know, I'm glad that a woman exists there, but I would, you know, I, I, I liked initially to see, I mean, we, we do, we, we have Castro and Booker and um, a number of, we, you know, we had a number of women and, that, that, and right. we still have Klobuchar and, and, and Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race, which I'm not necessarily her supporter or fan, but, you know, there are people that like her. So um, I just, I think that right now we're, lo- you know, it's like we're, we're in this really serious moment because we've got Donald Trump as president and people are frightened. And, you know, I mean, it's my opinion and this is my, I'm not, I'm not talking for you just, just to be clear. I would prefer Warren because in my, like, I think she's like the antithesis of Donald Trump. Her, um, she's got strength and grit, but she also like Mr. Rogers, you know, she's got this softness and this appeal to like the humanity of, of everything. Um, and I, and I like her plans. I like, I like her style. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I would just say, you know, going back to, you know, it's, uh, all white with the exception of Andrew Yang, for instance, oh, and Yang. Right. later this week. Um, I, you know, Cory Booker and Julian Castro are just such strong candidates and both brilliant as are the others. Oh, I agree. So, yeah, I know you do. So I'm just kind of thinking that, you know, what's that? Um, I, I think maybe it looks, you know, forbidding now for the other candidates, right. you know, besides the top four. You're absolutely right. But I think there have been cases where, I can't remember exactly as I said here, but there have been cases where someone or two who was uh, trailing badly mm-hmm. in Iowa came out in a good position. And I think that in any event, we not only have the presidential candidate to choose, but the vice president, presidential yes. candidate. And I think that that provides an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to sort of mix it up a bit and make sure that the ticket is really strong and diverse and important yeah. from a political standpoint. Well, yeah, and I'm definitely going on polls, which is take that for what it's worth. Um, mm-hmm. And Obama certainly didn't have the support of the black community until he was, you know, he won Iowa. And then all of a sudden, everybody got behind him. So people felt comfortable with Hillary Clinton in 2008 because they knew her and they felt you know, I mean, she, she was the person who had the recognizable name. She was always, you know, when she was in the Senate, um, she was always popular. She was a, a very popular senator. So, you know, it took, it took a while for Obama to convince people. So absolutely, there, you know, we're coming mm-hmm. up on the primaries and really anything could happen. So, you know, but I, I in 2016, I was extremely emotionally attached to my candidate. And at that point, it was Bernie Sanders, which, by the way, I no longer support. I mean, I will vote for him if he's the nominee, but for various reasons, I no longer support him. Um, and it's not, and it's interesting because I am a feminist and I was for Bernie, but then when Bernie lost the primary, I was absolutely 100% behind Hillary. Right. Uh, and I was, you know, and, and, and I don't want to get too involved in this, but I was kind of caught up in the disinformation that was, um, you know, I was in a bunch of Bernie Sanders groups on Facebook and I, you know, it was around April of 2016 that that disinformation started. And it, initially the groups were pro Bernie and then they became anti Hillary. And I kind of fell victim to some of that disinformation in that it it put seeds of doubt in my mind it never made me hate her and it never made me think that she was a terrible I I always knew that she was the most qualified no matter what um but just because of her resume but but there were doubts that were there and now I realize why those doubts were were there because I was reading things that weren't accurate or they were misleading or you know and they, they were meant to paint her in a negative light so um this particular well, election, I'm, I'm choosing to be a little bit more analytical. Um, it's difficult because Warren is, has been my number. I mean, I, I kind of vacillated between Warren and Harris, and then Harris dropped out. So now that's it. It's solid. Warren is my primary pick. Um, but I also want to not get so emotionally involved because it's so difficult when you get so wrapped up into a candidate and they don't win. 
it's so devastating. So I'm trying to be analytical, but my, my full support is behind Warren right now. Well, I think the thing is, I mean, a lot of people have said this. I've certainly talked about it in speeches and other interviews I've been giving that um, there's nothing the matter at this point with uh, each of us working for the candidate who we most believe in and think has the right agenda. But it is equally important, more important, actually, for each of us then to get solidly behind, um, you know, the candidate. And I think that in that context for women voters, it's particularly important. We have uh, issues that, you know, face most women, our sisters, whether we choose or how we choose to to deal with them, like reproductive rights that male voters don't have. Mm -hmm. And so I think, for instance... Um, you know, when the candidate is a pro-choice candidate, male or female, that's what we want, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So, and to think that um, that's anything but perhaps the most important consideration yes. for most women uh, in this year is foolishness because of the current president's uh, anti-choice position, the fact that the Supreme Court is going mm-hmm. to rule on yeah. an important case this year. So I would just say that uh, you're right to say it's time to be, you know, you can be heartfelt and loving your candidate and working hard for her or him, but uh, do, don't lose sight of the end goal. Yeah. And, you know, politics is not uh, a practice of perfection, nor is any other profession, but it certainly isn't. It's a practice of, well, who is going to work the hardest mm-hmm. to advocate for the policies that, uh, most better people's lives. And that's the person I'm going to work hard for. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let me ask you this. As we look ahead to Iowa, North mm-hmm. uh, and New Hampshire, South Carolina, whatever, um, what should women political activists be focusing on? Well, one thing, um, good question. I think that one thing is what we were talking about a minute ago, which is making sure that the women candidates are treated equally, right? Yeah. And, and calling it out when they're not. Yes. Um, because what they deserve most of all is an equal playing field. That's for starters. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing, and, and the whole, you know, in Voter In, in the book, the first half is the case statement for why elect a woman president. The second half, as you know, is how to go about mm-hmm. this. So my second uh, piece of advice about Iowa, it being the first place where we are on the ground on this matter, mm-hmm. uh, is is to take the initiative to organize your own community, whether that's your girlfriends at work or at home or your family uh, or, you know, your sisters, whatever it is, to talk with them about the idea that we do have this unique opportunity in 2020 and uh, to elect a woman president and why that would make such a difference, a positive difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. And once the talking and the lives of the women around them. So then I say, once that sort of discussion is done and all the questions are answered, well, why is that? Well, women pay more attention to issues that affect, you know, women and girls mm-hmm. and on down the line. Um, then the task is, well, what am I going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So am I going to write letters? Am I going to raise money? Am I going to canvas? You know, am I going to organize a caucus meeting? Um, So the steps are, as you would, as any of us would with any, you know, kind of project we care about, to discuss it, agree on a goal, and then create a sort of plan to implement that Mm -hmm. goal. And even if... You don't go to Iowa, for instance, which we don't all need to do or can do. You know, it's creating that climate, right, in Mm -hmm. your own community um, for the discussion that is going to occur in Iowa and everywhere else. And I would point out that in that context that, you know, each of – I sort of think about it all as kind of like this is, you know, Mary Kay or Tupperware. Right, yeah. You know, each of, you know, you and I are in a group with five other girlfriends, right? And each of us has 10 other girlfriends, right? And it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And, you know, by the second or third layer, you're in Iowa or you're in New Hampshire, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So this idea about uh, why it's important to have a woman candidate, why it's important to work hard and uh, to put that message out there, why it's important to tell others it's important to work hard um, I think those are, you know, the the steps to take. And then, of course, to think about, well, as this 
uh, election as this campaign comes to my community specifically, right? You know, what can I do right here? Right, yeah. And one of the things I point out in Voter and I just want to underscore this, is sometimes people, and particularly people who are new to political activism, well, what can I do? I don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an accountant or I'm a nurse or whatever. And the fact is we all have relevant skills or talents, writing, talking, mm-hmm. knocking on doors, raising money, mm-hmm. right? So there's always something for every one of us to do. And I think that's the task also to say, well, what am I good at? I could yeah. keep the books for this candidate, right? Right. <laughs> I could write a press release, you know? Yeah. I could say I'm going to go up and down my block and the next one over because I've lived here 20 years and I know everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's something that everyone can do. In fact, I wrote I wrote a book called American Woman, The Importance of Women in Voting. And mm-hmm. I suggested, I mean, it was... It was um, it was kind of not, I mean, only about women, but it was the idea of, you know, we get these, these uh, booklets of all the issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're not somebody who's in the political game, or even if you are, it's, it's a lot to take in. And sometimes it's confusing. And, and sometimes you're not getting enough information from the blurb that you get in your little voter guide. So I, like, I recommend it, especially for young people, where, you know, you get together in groups and each person takes, a, you know, several mm-hmm. points and does their own research. And then everybody shares and nobody has to say which way they're going to vote. But mm-hmm. they all kind of make their own notes on each you know, issue and oh, good. and that they know how to, when they're going into the voting booth, they're totally prepared. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes voting isn't sexy, right? It's like the idea of, I don't know, <laughs> it's like, but you can make it fun. You, you know, it's like I said, it, it, you know, get a party together, but wait until you have any kind of like alcohol or anything, you know, get the business out of the way and have, have some fun, talk about it and then have a party. Yeah. Because well, it's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a good way to uh, get people to socialize and to talk about these issues. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that it's important. And, and your point um, is great because it, it it's a way that women can bond outside of, you know, what we usually bond on. Um, it's a good way to bond with women politically because it helps us, I think, um, it reinforces our support for each other. And then, of course, it just, I think it helps in general. Well, you know, the other thing about it, and I I also talk about this, and I know um, you know this too, which is, you know, this experience can also bring some real joy. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I was um, peripherally involved uh, in uh, the work to get Jerry Ferraro on the ticket. And uh, in 1984, there oh. was a group of young activists and, um, who really pushed for that. And I went to the Democratic Convention and was able to, you know, help with that whole initiative. And, you know, I can't tell you as a young woman how much joy that brought me. I, I can like, imagine. Here's this woman. I know her. I talk to her. Uh, she is committed to doing this. She cares about the issues we care about. So it was a lot of, you know, a lot of work and not all of it's so great, you know, but or fun. But the joy that comes from realizing a dream and you can do that in this context. Wow. Um, OK, so how about this? Now, mm-hmm. like you said in your book, the first part of Vote Her In is the manifesto and the organizing plan. So why don't you share some highlights and key messages, particularly about women um, attaining executive political power? Oh, thank you for asking. So here's the thing for those of you who are listening. Um, and I can't underscore this enough. Um, if you look across the institutional sectors of American life, business, politics, education, philanthropy, healthcare, colleges, it doesn't matter where you look. The further up the totem pole you go, the fewer women there are, right? Mm-hmm. And and secondly, those few women are, generally speaking, paid less for mm-hmm. comparable work. So the fact of the matter is it's not in isolated circumstances or unique circumstances where women don't have executive power. It is everywhere. So point one behind uh, the voter in idea uh, of electing a woman president is 
a woman achieving the ultimate executive power, that mm-hmm. is the presidency, will demonstrate that women, not only will it change everything for women on an issue basis, which we could talk about, but it will demonstrate that women can hold uh, executive power, political power, and in any context, business, government, you know, whatever, as an executive, you have to be politically astute. So this is a, a terrifically important idea that it behooves all of us, regardless of what kind of job we might have, to work to get a woman president who shows that executive power ability. So related to that is the message that um, for younger women in particular that, you know, we say to girls, we say to young women, well, just work hard and you can achieve. Things have really changed and some have not, but some really have. You can be anything you want to be. That's not true, Mm -hmm. right? So if you go back to what I'm saying, you don't see... Uh, women in anywhere near parity in those kinds of jobs, much less even meaningful numbers. So the point here is where it's sort of a lie what we're saying to young women. You can't achieve yeah. the ultimate unless you're incredibly you know, skilled in all of that, of course, work twice as hard, but also very lucky. So I uh, thought that in writing about electing a woman president, it and its importance, there was this opportunity to talk about executive power. And I would add to that the fact that uh, when women began moving into political office in meaningful numbers, which is really in the mid-70s, notably after Roe v. Wade, um, it's primarily been a movement into legislative positions, right? Mm -hmm. So that's different. You're there with a whole group of people, and you collectively discuss and vote and agree or disagree, and then a decision gets made, a piece of legislation gets developed, voted on. When you're you're the governor or you're the attorney general or you're the treasurer or you're the mayor or you're the county executive, it's different. You're the only one in that particular Mm -hmm. chair, right? And so while we are now seeing increasing numbers of women in executive office around the country, the numbers are still really small. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, (laughs) So we have this chance, I'm saying, to go to a second stage of the advancement of women in political office, that is, where they move into these executive positions. Right. Yeah, and it's so important because... When you have that perspective, when you have a female perspective in, in various levels of whether it's the legislature, you those women are like, for instance, I've written um, not so fun articles about the fact that there are a number of white male rapists out there who they rape women and literally children and then white male judges let them off. And, you know, there was this terrible instance of this one man who raped a baby and he was a billionaire. And I guess the judge decided that because he was so wealthy, he wouldn't do well in prison. So he got no sentence, no punishment. And, uh, you know, he, he felt for the rapist. He didn't feel for the child or the mother who had that child. And so as much as this is an awful subject, it just really highlights the importance of a diverse, whether it's legislature or bench, because the legislature often will nominate judges. And so we need a diverse, um, you know, we need diversity on the, on the bench and we need diversity in the legislature and we need to have a woman president. Absolutely. Um, so sorry to bring up that really downer point, but it's, it's mm-hmm. so important because people don't always look at it that way. You know, they, they, there are obvious things when you think about women in power, but then there, you know, there's so much, um, whether it's oppression or, or inequality or mm-hmm. just basic things that are not fair and it would help so much to break up that, you know, white male boys club and, um, it would just help. So <laughs> no, no other, any you know, other way to say it. <laughs> you can't repeat it often more, you know, yeah. any more often than you probably do or I do. I think that, you know, we've all probably learned. I know when I first started working, you know, not so much in politics, but just sort of generally mm-hmm. I was in the workplace and I realized, you know, the more diverse work yes. uh, voices that were at the decision-making table, the better the decision was. Right. I mean, it sounds sort of idiotically simple, but um, it goes to, you know, the example you were giving, that you, you have to have people in positions of authority who 
have a variety of life experiences and perspectives. And once that happens, there is this chance mm-hmm. to sort of synthesize and come out with what's a fair decision, not a discriminatory one. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just to go back to that um, Obama tweet, a lot mm-hmm. of people are trying to point out like, oh, well, you know, we wouldn't want Sarah Palin. And, you know, and they're, they're pointing out... Um, mm-hmm women who are either Republican or, or maybe not so friendly toward women. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at that is like, of course, I wouldn't be voting for Sarah Palin. Um, but I still hold, uh, you know, regardless of whatever their political affiliation or whatever, we still need to have diversity. As you know, I mean, my big fear is that the Republicans are going to get a woman, a woman in office before the Democrats mm-hmm. do. Um, but Still, I mean, I think we need to have, regardless if it's a Democrat or a Republican or an independent or whatever, mm-hmm. I think we just need more women because they have a they have a certain perspective that men just don't have. Well, it's going to be really interesting if that's what happens, to put it mildly. <laughs> uh, but and I've had this discussion actually with a number of people, uh, including some very very thoughtful people about whether. It matters which woman, right? Yeah. And, and I think that um, it, it's a tough thing. I think uh, I talk a little bit about it in Voter In, and I kind of give one example. And I have the belief it may be misplaced, and I know I have friends who I respect a lot who disagree with this. I do have the belief that a woman president would find a way specifically uh, to address issues of equality in the workplace. Even if, say, she's anti-choice, which means, for instance, you know, I would never vote for her. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think that, you know, there's not a woman where I would, who's ever had to work for a living, as most of us have, uh, who's never experienced that kind of right, workplace yeah. discrimination, right, or unequal pay, or my kid is sick, give me half the day off. No, you can't have it. Um, so I, I do, as you do, I mean, I remain hopeful that... You know, if the first woman or the second or the third or whatever is a woman with whom I disagree on many things, um, that at least she would uh, recognize the cornerstone that, you know, our ability to work and get equal pay Mm -hmm. is to our lives when, for instance, 50% of marriages end in divorce, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that so I don't know whether hope. that's going to happen. No one can prove it. Right. We don't have any data to look at. But that that's kind of my way of thinking about it. Yeah, well, I, I would hope. I would certainly hope. And I don't know if I agree with it. Like you said, first of all, there's no data. But I can look at somebody like Susan Collins and say, well, she doesn't seem to be too concerned um, with equality. But we'll see what she does. Right. Uh, we'll see what she does moving forward because I think her seat is in question at this point. Um, let me ask oh, no you, doubt. yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have a podcast, uh, you have a vote her in yeah. podcast. Uh, what's your goal there? Well, it's a similar goal. You know, uh, I think, you know, about two broads talking politics. Yes, I was podcast. on that show. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I had been, uh, Kelly and Sophie had interviewed me, uh, in the context of both of my books. And I really thought they were doing and are doing a terrific job yes. on, on, you know, sharing stories and interviews with a variety of people. And so it occurred to me that, you know, in this sort of multimedia age, right, you know, what can complement this book? Well, a podcast could complement this book. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, Kelly and I are both in Chicago, and we got together, and I said, well, listen, you know, we could could do a voter-in podcast, and every couple weeks or something like that, we would focus on this aspect of, you know, our current political situation. So we just jumped in. We've been doing it now. I think we're up to about 22 or so episodes. It's every couple weeks. They drop on Fridays. And uh, it's just been terrific. The goal is, as with the book, to educate, to motivate, to inspire, to mobilize, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, that's what we do, and you know, each in the first few uh, episodes, um, I uh, sort of talked about you know the deep background on women running for office and women in politics, and then we moved into a series of interviews, um, and those have just been wonderful. 
I'll admit to having asked all of my girlfriends to participate, <laughs> but but fortunately they are women of you know great stature and accomplishment. Yeah. So we have interviewed Kirsten Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, wow. Jan Schakowsky, who's a leader in Congress, this uh, Jill Weinbanks, who probably a lot of your yes, I love her. Uh, and this most recent episode, a couple recent ones, which were just wonderful. Uh, one was with Earthrin Cousin, who uh, may not be a name known to a lot of people, but an amazing political woman who, whose last career appointment from President Obama was as director of the World Food Program, which mm. feeds more people in the whole world than, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, and Earthrin and I worked together for many years. And then this past Friday with Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre, who's also on MSNBC. Oh, right, yes. And just wrote a book called Moving Forward. And so the goal there, as you can see, is to hear the voices of women of a variety of perspectives, but with an equally sort of compelling story about why they got involved in this work, why they think uh, women should stay even more involved, and uh, why they think electing a woman president would be so important. And so we're going to do a wrap-up um, uh, episode where the three of us, Kelly and I and Sophie, are going to, what have we learned, what do we think about, you know, what's coming ahead mm -hmm. uh, for the end of the year. So make sure to listen to that, y'all, if you haven't yet subscribed. And then we'll move into 2020, I am hoping, with an equally sort of stellar set of uh, interviewees and just really pushing this idea that, you know, there's a way for all of us to be mobilized and, and involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, we have to. This is such an important election, and it just it's, it's imperative that we unite. And it, it's absolutely a fantastic idea that women get together and make this happen. Women have actually made it happen in the last three elections, 2017, 2018, and 2019. I, I don't want to take away anything men have offered, but, you know, <laughs> I think m women have certainly shown that as soon as, as soon as he was inaugurated, there was that first women's march. And so ever since then, in fact, there, there's, um, Tom Nichols is a never Trump or conservative. He can, he can be a bit, I don't know if you know who he is. He can be a bit smug. And uh -huh. he and I had a conversation online because he was, uh, he was basically saying that if you wear, you know, one of those pink pussy hats, that's that's not the same as voting. And he was being critical and smug. And so I, you know, was going back and forth forth with him on Twitter, and I said, well, you know, the suffragists had garb, they had a uniform, and then look, they mm -hmm. got the right Good to point. vote. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and so um, uh, he never said that. Uh, he, he never acknowledged the fact that you know I was right, and was funny because this was a conversation that we had in 2017. Um, Early on, I think it was, and then mm -hmm. uh, later on, there was the Virginia in 2017. There was a whole bunch of women. There were people of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community that won. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, I tagged him and I said, uh, you know, thinking of you. And he, he liked it, but it was like he never said, oh, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, he just couldn't yeah. bring himself to it. But, um, you know. The, the, well, you're, yeah, you know, your point about. Women can do this. I mean, women have been the cornerstone of every Democratic president's election, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. For a number of cycles. So the question there is not, can we make a difference? We do make a mm -hmm. difference, but we can only do it if there's really good turnout, which is yeah. the other thing I think, you know, we want to emphasize here that um, it's all about, you know, Hillary lost Michigan by approximately 11,000 votes. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just a stunningly depressing number, really, um, for instance. Yes. Yes. So, you know, that's the thing here that we can make this difference and we can also really focus on states um, that are going to matter. Um, yeah. And uh, your book is really a great book for for where we are in history. I'm so glad that you wrote it. And I recommend oh, everybody you. listening to this podcast. Seriously. Get it for yourself, get it for your family, get it for a young girl, get it for someone who's about, you know, uh, to vote if they're turning 18 in 2020. It's, 
as I said in the intro, it's a fun book. It's not a cold, dry kind of school book. It's it's there's so much information and it's entertaining and it's it's literally it's inspiring. So thank you for writing it. And before you go, do you do you have any words of inspiration or anything like that? Mobilization. Uh yeah, I would just say that, you know, it's such a cliche, but a young woman friend of mine just did something over the weekend and, and wonderful, and I was trying to figure out early this morning when I heard about it, how to reply to her. And I just write, wrote in a little uh, email message, you go, girl, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. which I don't even know where that came from. But I think <laughs> the, but the underlying message here is, you know, every one of us girls, every one of us women can do can do this. We mm-hmm. can elect a woman president. We can help our sisters achieve what they want in the political arena. So I really hope that everyone, while we're enjoying our holidays, will yeah. look ahead to the new year and just sort of drill down and get organized and get together with her girlfriends and do what you can. Absolutely. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Oh, thank you. Um, well, my website is RebeccaSive.com. Uh, you'll see my Twitter feed there, which is at RebeccaSive. Uh, also, Instagram, which is uh, Voterin by RebeccaSive. I guess there's an at there, right? <laughs> and um, I'm sort of, uh, then there's the Voterin podcast, of course, and Kelly tweets a lot, and, and you'll find me talking in that context as well. Uh, the book's available, uh, you know, overnight shipping, right? Go to your local bookstore. It's on the Internet, of course, at Amazon and all those other places. Um, so uh, it's easy to find me. And if you have anything in particular you want to say, you can always write me at Rebecca at RebeccaSide.com. I like hearing from people. Oh, cool. Well, I'll, de- I'll definitely put all of those links. I'll put the link to your uh, main website, which is where you can find everything else in the text of the Patreon description, as well as your um, Twitter. So oh, great. thank you so much. Thank you for writing the book, and thank you for being a guest on the show. Okay, thank you so much, Kimberly. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. That was an interesting, as I said, it was an interesting conversation. And boy, I, I just can't reiterate. She's got a great book. She's really got a great book. So for all of those people on your Christmas list, and if you want some good reading material for the holidays, get get yourself motivated for 2020. Um, get her book, Vote Her In. And I promise you, I promise you, you will enjoy it. It's so entertaining. And like I said at the start of the show, next Wednesday is going to be the very last show of 2019. And then we go into 2020. Can you believe it? Oh, my God, we're here. We've got to get this right, people. We've got to get 2020 right, meaning we've got to, we've got to elect a Democrat, no matter who it is. And it's, I, I hope that we can elect Elizabeth Warren, but I don't care. I'm voting for the Democrat. And it's not going to be Tulsi, so don't worry and don't tell me, well, you need to vote for Tulsi. No, I'm not going to vote for Tulsi because she's not viable and she's not going to be the candidate. So I'm not even going to worry about it. Anyway, um, let's see. Let's see. I guess that's it for today. Uh, You can find me at Author Kimberly on Twitter, K-I-M-B-E-R, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And then you can also buy my books at Amazon.com under my name, Kimberly A. Johnson. Uh, And that's it for now. We will see you next week with Stephanie. Have a good one.